On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about inflation, but only partially the real number because a new a new poll is out, a new survey is out by Angus Reid that suggests people think that the price of everything is going up far more than it actually is. How can that happen? How is that narrative happening? Well, we'll talk about it. Uh, we're also going to talk to a guy from Hamilton who has one of the truly greatest collections you'll ever want to hear about. This is a fascinating story. It's a fascinating thing he's done and an amazing collection he now has. We'll talk about that. And Bubba O'Neill, the long lost Bubba O'Neill, long time since we've had him on, but he's now recovered. He's now healthy. Bubba is back. We'll talk to him and maybe have a little argument too. We'll see. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. One of the economic stories of the day has been about inflation. We've got some new numbers out about inflation and seems that we've had a, an inflationary spike that is uh, unusual, highest in the decade for the last little bit. But we're going to get to the actual inflation and talk about the actual impact in a second. I want to bring in Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Marvin, how are you tonight? Thanks for doing this. Fine, thanks. Glad to be with you, Scott. So as I say, I want to get to the real inflation and the real numbers in a second. But before we do that, I want to start with what I'm going to call perceived inflation, because Angus Reid did a poll this week and or over the past couple of weeks, but it came out this week. And it suggests that people feel like prices are really going up, like way more than apparently they really are. People's perception of what costs are and inflation seems to not exactly jibe, Marvin, with what the reality is. And I'm wondering when you get to economics and you start talking to people about this, is perception reality in this area? Well, of course, that's the danger that perception can become the reality. So let's let's put this in a little context. Uh, as you know, as we all know, it was in February of last year that we heard the P word, pandemic. And Canada's reaction, like most of the world, was to lock down. So March, April, May of last year, we were ordered to stay at home. Businesses were declared non-essential. You'd never seen anything like this. And so people went home and said, okay, I guess that means I, should not, I shouldn't do anything. I shouldn't buy anything. And there was quite a negative reaction to that. Our Canadian stock market, we saw stock prices fall. We saw the Canadian dollar fall. <clears throat> we saw economic activity start to decline. And, okay, that's great. And then, for some reason, then that became the new normal that we were comparing everything to. So now we are here 15 months later. We are uh, emerging from the lockdowns. We're, we're not completely out of that yet, but we're emerging from this. Of course, it's summer. And as people go to to spend some money, they hear that inflation's up, and they're, and they're looking at the price of lumber, or they're looking at a liter of gasoline, and they're saying, oh my God, if this continues, how the hell am I even going to be able to afford anything? Mm. My problem with all of that is they have forgotten what the reality was in January and February of last year. So again, to give you a simple example, in the month of May, gasoline was 42% more expensive than it was a year ago. I'm going to say that again, 42% more expensive than a year ago. Now, usually, as a business school professor, I would be screaming, oh, my God, it's 40, things are going wild, things are going crazy. But I have to remember what May 2020 was like. We were in the midst of this lockdown. 
if instead I compared May 2021's gasoline prices to January 2020's gasoline prices, guess what? Haven't moved at all. We're just back to where we were before. So rather than thinking of this as true inflation, things are running amok, what we're really doing is just going back to the way the world was beforehand. But I think what's happened is we've gotten so accustomed in 15 months to that pandemic normal, we forgot what the old normal was, and thus we're maybe overreacting to some of the inflationary prices that we're seeing out there. So so forgetfulness and perhaps also having everyone talking about how you know, wood prices and everything else are going up. The power, the narrative, the power of suggestion has made people convinced that it really is much worse than it is. Well, in a way, again, you're right. So what do you talk about in a pandemic? I think most of us are kind of talked out about COVID. We, we, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? You had your test? Have you had a shot? Have you had, oh, I've heard mm-hmm. this. Did you hear about it? So you say, well, we've got to talk about something else. What are we talking about? Why well, hey, have you seen those wood prices go up there? My God, <laughs> those things are crazy. So you're right. We, we fuel into that. Now, it, it, there are legitimate concerns here. And let's talk about lumber for half a second. A year ago, the pandemic hits. And the lumber people, the people who turned trees into lumber, said, well, what are people going to do during a pandemic? I don't think they're going to be buying houses. I don't think they're going to be needing lumber. We don't want to produce a whole lot of lumber and stick it in a storage yard and then just have it sit there. So tell you what, you stop cutting down trees, you stop doing this, you stop doing this. No one's going to want lumber in a pandemic. What no one had guessed was that after three or four months of being stuck indoors, people were looking around and saying, well, you know, if we can't do this and we can't do that, why don't we fix up the basement? Why don't we do a new deck? And demand for lumber shot up. Here's the problem. Once you stop producing lumber and you don't have any in a stockpile, when the demand goes up, you have no easy way to quickly, quickly enhance the supply. So you know the rule of of law of supply Mm -hmm. and demand. If uh, uh, demand shoots up and supply is constant or declining, prices are going to go up. So yes, there is a legitimate concern around the cost of lumber, but it will be self-correcting because all of those lumber mills that shut down last year have now turned them on. All the people who are harvesting trees, they've been chopping them down. Give it another three, four, five months, and we will have solved that temporary problem. This Angus Reid poll, one of the things that just blew me away is the numbers here. Um, they were People were asked, has the cost of home renovations gone up? 96% say yes. Has the cost of buying a home gone up? 95%. Cost of a liter of gas gone up 93%, groceries 92%. Now, we know these things to be true, and yet we don't generally see numbers in any survey or any polling that almost unanimous unless it's North Korean election. I mean, it's just it's amazing that everybody is seeing the same thing in this country or feeling the same thing. Well, and as you point out before the break, that we're also all talking about it uh, because we just don't have much else to talk about. Sure, the Blue Jays are playing baseball, but they're doing it in Buffalo. We can't actually watch that game. Yes, the U.S. Open is going on in the United States, and yes, we've got the Euro Euro 2020 being played in Euro 2021. So we, we've really had a, a lack of things to talk about, and when we do notice something, we talk about it to death. So people are very clearly tuned in. 
my concern with those numbers is, okay, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is more expensive to do home renovations now. A gas is, is more expensive than it was 12 months ago. But are you going to notice in three more months mm. when they haven't changed any during that period of time? Uh, and all we are is getting back to that old normal. So I, I'm hoping that consumers, uh, although they're very sensitive to it, will also notice that this is calming down. I don't think that's going to be the case, and the reason is always simple. We overreact to bad news, and we underreact to good news. There, You've pointed out that one of the reasons why the inflation rate has had this spike is because we are getting back to normal, and we haven't been at normal, so that explains part of it. I'm wondering if also if any of the explanation is we, we keep hearing about this vast, enormous pot of money that people have not spent that all of a sudden is being dumped back into the economy that was not, does that contribute to inflation as well? It would, but this is not what we're seeing at the moment. This is really more about the bounce back. So let's put some numbers on the table. Uh, the May inflation, 3.6%. If you remove gasoline, 2.5%. Well above what we've been considering normal, which is around 1.5%. But keeping in mind that in May of last year, we actually had negative inflation. We actually had prices fall because of the pandemic. Is it because of the baseline comparison, May of 2020 uh, to May of 2021? Um, so I don't think we've begun to see the spending. Now, to put a point on what you're saying, we believe that consumers, because they've been locked up for 15, 16 months, have accumulated roughly $100 billion, that's with a B, $100 billion of cash that they would have normally spent that they didn't spend. And as we come out of the pandemic, the trillion-dollar question is, what are they going to do with that money? There is an argument to say that people are going to say, okay, now, now that stores are open and now that I can go to Canada's Wonderland, I, okay, let's, let's get those charge cards out there. So they may spend a large chunk of this and make up for what they weren't able to do for 15, 16 months. On the other hand, people of uh, consumers have been discovering the power of savings. TFSAs, RRSPs, or even just bringing down your debt load um, – I am hopeful that at least some of this money is going to continue to be saved rather than spent. But coming out of this, nobody knows. We haven't lived through a pandemic for 100 years. We just don't know what people are going to do. Our only parallel after the Spanish flu of 1918 was what we called the Roaring Twenties. As people came out of the pandemic, they wanted to have fun. They wanted a party, and you had this decade of, of sort of decadence and opulence and everybody's spending. I'm not sure that's going to happen this time. And you can imagine all, all I'm doing is I'm a bystander as a, as a business professor. If I'm actually making goods, whether it's jars of jam or peanut butter or automobiles or boots, are consumers going to be buying my product? How many do I need to be making now to have in stock for then? What's Christmas going to be like this year? Mm. Is it going to be a tree full of presents or will it be austere again? We really just don't know. So that's the question coming forward. And that's why, again, we have to be concerned about this inflationary pressure. The Bank of Canada, looking at these numbers, says, well, this is really more the bounce back from a year ago. But they're going to be looking at the numbers in July, August, and September, the third quarter of the year, when we had a good third quarter last year. If this persists, 
then they may try to dampen the economy a little bit by raising interest rates. But I don't think they will. I don't think that will be necessary. I, I think consumers will still keep a pretty straight head as they come out of this pandemic. Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Glad to be with you, Scott. Uh, <clears throat> oh, <clears throat> all the talk of money got me all choked up. Uh, no, one thing that is uh, that is really shocking, too, about this Angus Reid poll, as you look at it, there is not one province in this great land of ours, when you look at the polling, when asked, that says that they are better off today than they were a year ago. And you know what's so interesting about this? We know there are some people who have been hurt by COVID and financially, but a lot of people, as Marvin said, have paid more on their mortgage, have saved more, have tucked money away. You would think a bunch of people would say, you know, honestly, I I, I feel badly for others, but I'm doing okay. That just doesn't seem, I don't know if we're a land of pessimists now or worry warts or whatever, but it doesn't seem to be, the narrative doesn't seem to be matching up with the reality is, is the story here. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm going to make a wild assumption that basically everybody listening or almost everybody listening has seen the movie Forrest Gump. And one of the charms of that movie, besides just Tom Hanks doing an amazing job as Forrest Gump, one of the charms was the... The moments in history, Forrest Gump stumbled into so many moments, accidentally became a piece of history over and over and over again. If you've seen the movie, and again, I'm assuming you have, you know what I'm talking about. Well, my next guest has accumulated what I like to think of as the Forrest Gump of collections. This is, this is a collection of autographs, of letters, of items from the Forrest Gumps of the world, from not entirely, a lot of them are famous people, but many, many, many of them are average people who suddenly found themselves colliding with history, key moments in history. And as a result, their perspective on things is amazing. Their innocence in some ways about things is amazing. And this collection is amazing. The guy who's behind this, his name is Mike Tabone. He joins us now. Mike, how are you tonight? Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm, I'm excellent. And listen, I, I would encourage, as we get started, before I forget, uh, I've written about this in the paper. Uh, it'll be in the paper on Saturday. It's online at thespec.com, a lot longer than we'll have time for today. But uh, go read it, uh, because the story is amazing. Tell me, though, Mike, this this whole thing about collecting, every, lots of people collect autographs, or at least try to get autographs from famous people. Where did the idea come from to go after the accidentally famous well, that's kind of an interesting question. Um, I've always had a, a bit of a curious mind, and um, I get intrigued with things that happen that I kind of want to have a part of or um, learn more about. So when I would watch the news or if, if I'd watch a documentary or if I'd read a book, if somebody caught my interest, I would, I would start doing some research on them. And again, it's not always just famous people. Um, in fact, I get more of a charge when I connect with people that really are relatively uh, just like you or me or the listener. Um, and that's basically uh, how I got started on it. I just, you know, took a chance, wrote a letter and, and waited and seen what happened. How do you, how do you get them though? Because not just find them. I'm, I'm guessing that finding the average person is probably easier than finding how to reach out to the celebrities because those celebrities are hidden. But how do you convince them to write something back to you? Funny enough, I actually, um, when I send a letter, I usually... Uh, print a couple of photographs. 
I send a self-addressed stamped envelope to make it easier for the, uh, the subject to want to respond. And I also, in the letter, I also invite them to jot down a few words, whether they're for me, whether they're thoughts, whether they're uh, for my grandchildren, whatever the case may be. And I even include a piece of paper with a post-it note on it for them to actually uh, write on. And I put on the post-it note, uh, it would be great if you could send a few words to Christopher or to Francis or to Bria or to whomever, or, you know, that sort of thing. And then I just wait. And I find that when you give them all the tools that they're going to need, um, if they don't overanalyze it and just respond quickly, then usually they'll be very successful. And I'm wondering if the fact that you're requesting the things to be personalized helps, because now they know they're not just going to sign something that ends up on eBay, because there's no value to anyone. If it's for Bria, unless your name is Bria, and there's not that many of them, uh, right. the only value is to you. That's true. And that's one of the reasons why I try to get them um, personalized to specific people, uh, because I believe the subject on the other end realizes that this collector is doing it for the reasons that he or she says they're doing it. Uh, I also stress in my letters to, to the people that I write to that um, I'm not, I'm not going to do this for any monetary gain. And I remind them that uh, if there's one thing they should know about me is that I don't have much, but the one thing I have in abundance is, abundance is my integrity. And I usually write that in there. And, and fortunately for me, most people believe it. It's not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, some people you're asking, do you have to suck up in your letters? Do you really have to lay it on thick sometimes to get someone to write back and get them to, to take note? No, not really. I mean, if, if, and it's a shame when you were here, I didn't, I didn't show you a sample of, of a letter, but, um, uh, usually I think what gets them to want to participate is I like to include other subjects that have already uh, given me some successful responses. And I think when they see, that this guy here is interested in them in the same light that he was with people that were in Dallas November 22nd, 1963 with President Kennedy or with people that walked on the, on the lunar surface or people who participated in the Second World War or were POWs in Vietnam or whatever the case may be. I think a lot of people are flattered to be included in such a uh, prestigious company. And I really believe a lot of them want to participate because of that, because in a lot of my letters, they actually make a comment about that. One of the tricky ones, though, I would think, is you do, certainly it's not the focus of your collection by any stretch, but there's a few that are people who are infamous rather than famous. You've got a letter from Tex Watson, who was a member of the Manson family. You've got a, you've con, uh, connected with Mark David Chapman, who killed John Lennon. You've connected with the son of Sam, David Berkowitz. How do you convince someone like that? Because you, you almost have to bite your lip and not be too aggressive with them, don't you? Because, I mean, you probably want to tell them what you really think, but if you do, they probably don't write back. Well, that's, that's actually, I believe that's actually inaccurate because all three of those subjects, uh, if you were to see the letters that I wrote, um, I didn't hold anything back. Um, in fact, I remember with Berkowitz, it was just a one evening, spur-of-the-moment thing. Uh, I Googled them, I found them, I got his um, prison ID number, I went online uh, to this app that I use to contact people that are in jail. Believe it or not, there's actually an app for that. <laughs> and uh, I, I wrote him a letter, and, and um, he, he committed uh, most of his crimes in 1977-78, and that's when I started my job at Nelson Steel in Stony Creek was 1977. And I, I worked there for 40 years, and I, I was reflecting with him what I had accomplished in my last 40 years and asked him if he was satisfied with what he's accomplished 
in his last 40 years. So, I mean, there's nothing flattering there yet. No, but it's an interesting question. It's an interesting, you've posed an interesting question rather than just saying, give me an autograph. No, exactly. And, and, And I would never, and I think I mentioned it to you when you were here, I would never ask a person like that for an autograph. Um, because I don't want to dignify them with thinking that they're important enough that I would want their autograph. But I'll admit, when Watson responded with a two-page handwritten letter, um, I was pretty stoked. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, it's it's uh, fascinating. You know, it just makes it that much more personal, right? It's a fascinating letter. The, the, the whole letter is viewable at thespec.com if people want to go and read the whole thing and see it. Mike, I, I'm wondering which... You've probably thought this through. Of all the ones you've gotten, you've got dozens, maybe hundreds of these. Which one do you think is the most unusual from your perspective? Um, I think there's a couple, actually. Um, One of them that is a little bit unusual because I never dreamt that it would ever uh, come to fruition was when I I wrote to uh, a former moonwalker, a a man named uh, James Irwin, who walked on the surface of the moon. When I wrote to Mr. Irwin... I didn't know that he had passed away. This is well before the internet, so I, I couldn't do any research to find out. I was, I was fortunate just to find an address, let alone know anything about the guy. So I wrote him a letter, and, and about uh, six weeks later, I got a response from his wife, uh, and she included a pamphlet uh, from the ministry that he had started when he became um, um, a layman after he retired from uh, being an astronaut. And uh, she wrote me in her letter uh, telling me that he had passed away about a year before, and I was devastated because I really felt embarrassed and I felt um, shame, to be honest with you, uh, for not knowing that. So I actually wrote her back, which is something that I rarely ever did. Uh, and back then, when I used to get something authentically signed, and I used to say it in my letters, um, that I would frame it and hang it on my astronaut wall of fame in my family room. On that wall, I had uh, a collection of uh, astronauts that actually had walked on the moon. In my collection, I have seven of the 12 men that actually walked on the moon. I said to her, when I wrote back to her, uh, apologizing that even though uh, Mr. Irwin did not sign the pamphlet, I'm still going to frame it and hang it with the rest of the moonwalkers so that he will be shown when people come and, and it'll be appreciated. And I put it to bed. And then about three weeks later, an envelope came with nothing in it, no note, nothing. And I opened it and pulled it out, and there was a, a canceled check. And I guess what she wanted was something that her husband signed to put with the pamphlet that she sent, mm. because the uh, check was made out to a company called A&R Glass in Colorado uh, for $38 and some odd cents, but it's signed by, by Jim Irwin. So that was a real, real surprise. Mm. Um, uh, that's probably one of my favorites when people ask. But what was the one, what's the one that you were most shocked to get back? Cause you make lots of requests. What was the one that you said, there's no chance this person is getting back to me. And then they got back to you. I think one of the, uh, uh, the jail guys, I think either all three of them really, uh, Watson, Berkowitz or, uh, Chapman. I, I didn't really think that they would respond, uh, getting a response from them really put the playing field, uh, into perspective because at the mm. end of the day, He's a human, I'm a human, and we crave the same things. He wanted somebody to reach out to him, and by reaching out to me, we made a connection. And that's really what this is all about. In fact, with Mark Chapman, and I think I mentioned this to you at my place, uh, him and I have continued this ongoing connection, and um, he's invited me to come to visit him in the prison, which is about 70 miles from here, uh, just north of Buffalo, New York. Uh, So I'm actually on his visitor's list. 
And um, when this whole COVID thing ends, I likely will take him up on that offer just because I'd like him to say, I'm sorry for what I did and look me in the eye as, as he actually says mm. it. Who do you who do you wish that you could have got, but they died before you could find them or reach out to them? There must be somebody that you look back and go, "Man, I wish I'd been quick enough to get to that person." Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a really good question. There's a lot of people that are still alive that I've reached out to that I really, really, really wanted to get something from that I didn't get back. So I've never really thought about uh, not connecting with people because they've actually passed away. So I, I don't think I. I don't think I've really given that a whole lot of thought. Um, I would have loved to have, have had something, obviously, from people like President Kennedy or Bobby Kennedy. I'm a big Kennedy guy. Um, but, you know, I mean, those things, those things uh, uh, usually don't come true. Uh, people mm. that are in the presidential realm, uh, usually, I mean, I shouldn't say that because I've managed to connect through letter writing with uh, Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind Carter. Uh, they both signed pieces for me. Uh, and uh, George Bush Jr. actually uh, signed through the mail. Uh, President Bush, I, I got that with a face-to-face uh, meeting at the mm-hmm. apartment. A face-to-face and spilling wine on his shoes, spilling which people have to read, shoes, read the paper to learn that story. Uh, yeah. Just before we go, because we only have a few seconds, okay. has there ever been somebody that you said, I really like to get one, but it's it's too crazy to ask. I, even me, Mike Tabone, bold guy who will ask anybody, this is just too insane to ask this person. Does anyone fall on that list? No. I no because I don't I don't look at anybody as being that important that they can't be asked, and mm. I think if you have that attitude, it'd be pretty easy to convince yourself, probably not to write to anybody who's uh, probably uh, yeah uh, a famous probably. person at all. So, have you ever thought of doing? Have you ever thought of putting all this in an exhibition somewhere? Because I think that people would be fascinated to see these. I have never thought about that. In fact, it took me many years to even start showing it to people. Um, I've, I've been, you know, asked by people, why don't you, you know, why don't you call the spectator? Ages ago, people used to say stuff like that to me, but I wasn't really ever interested because I think people that do what I do don't believe that there's that many people out there that are interested in the same thing that they are. And I think a lot of people, I used to think that a lot of people might've thought it was a bit hokey. Uh, so I never really wanted to put myself out there like that. But it was the coaxing of some friends and cousins telling me to start a Facebook page so that people can at least see by using that as your platform some of the stuff you have because you've got some pretty amazing things. And and, uh, now I'm kind of glad I did because when I find somebody appreciate the same thing that I appreciate and, and see that they actually get it, to me it makes it all worthwhile. I'll tell you, uh, I walked out of your house after looking at the collection and I know you heard me tell you this. I wish that I had thought to do this. Yeah. Uh, you beat me to it and because it is, it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. And it's, uh, uh, I would encourage people to go to the spec.com again. Uh, the stories, there are lots of the photos of the letters. You can see the letters up close and read them and see the signatures and see the people. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing collection. Mike Tabone, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's been a long time, but we are glad to have him back. Finally, finally, ladies and gentlemen, your friend and mine from CHCH TV, fully recovered, Bubba O'Neill. There you go. Bubba O'Neill, how are you, sir? Welcome back. This music is so not necessary. (laughs) 
well, we had some other chosen, but we thought this was more appropriate than all the other things we decided on. How are you? Glad, good, you're, glad you're back. No, thank you. Appreciate it. And you know, a special thank you to all your listeners, uh, so many of them uh, sending me cards and well wishes, emails, Facebook, Instagram, go on and on. We uh, really made a, a guy that wasn't feeling too well uh, certainly improved the spirit. So much appreciated, obviously, to you as well, writing your fine two articles. I know a lot of people were apparently, at least one of hearing, were interested and wanted updates. So, uh, you know, thanks to you as well, too. So much change. I mean, here we are. I'm at CHCH, and I'm at a totally different location, you know, you know, my, uh, kilometers away from where we were in downtown Hamilton. Like we are here in Dundas right now, uh, awaiting the, the finalization of our new building. So it's just a lot going on. A lot of change. But it's good. A lot, lot of change. And I, I don't want to stick on this one for long. This is not what we're going to talk about today. But very quickly, just so people who may not be sure, uh, you had COVID. And on a scale of one to 10, one being not bad, 10 being horrible in experiences you've had in your life illness-wise, where, was, where does COVID rank? Well, I, I mean, I've never gone through anything like that. I mean, that's, I mean I've you know, had shoulder separations. I've had knee surgery. I mean, these are all sports-related and uh, injuries. Uh, um, I had a, a bout with Bell's palsy, I mean, uh, many years ago, I, you know, I've had some things happen to me. I feel like nothing, nothing small happens to me when something does happen. Nothing, <laughs> it's always something big and it doesn't happen. I don't get sick very often, but when something happens, it's just, it's something major, but you know, and the, you know, to be, to answer your question, it, it, you know, this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really pleased to see that the numbers are, you know, sinking to the level that they're at right now. Uh, I'm happy for, you know, our general public, our community, uh, I'm, what I'm even more happy for is is, is the um, people that are working in hospitals right now. With me being there so long um, in Burlington's Joseph Brandt and Oakville Trafalgar in uh, in Oakville, uh, I, I got to talk to a lot of people, and I mean it's been a really really rough ride for these folks. And uh, I know a lot of people. We, we've gotten really used to calling them the frontliners. Um, in my definition. And especially after what I saw, I, I don't even think that does it justice. To me, they're the backliner. They're the end. Like they're the they're the last line of defense for so many people. Uh, and as sick as I was, there were people way sicker than I was. Um, you know, in some really frightening situations. And really, all they had were these nurses and doctors and specialists, and you know, where they're working around the clock to keep us well. So can, you know, so thank you to them. I uh, got a few things. Okay, let's let's that that is true, and I'm glad th- lots of people were interested, and I uh, wanted to just touch on that because I say there were like I was getting notes all every day. How is Bubba? Where's Bubba? Because you know, and and so we tried to keep up people tried to keep people up to date, but it's tough because uh, I mean to be very honest, and I, again I don't want to go on this for too too long, but I wasn't hearing a whole lot because Bub- Bubba was in rough shape and you know not spending all of his day on the phone answering texts and emails and everything. So we're glad you're back anyway. Uh, let's get to some other stuff here, which is uh, the real reason why we want to have you back on here. And I want to start with, um, you know, I, I don't like to get too bent out of shape about awards uh, in sports because, I mean, I, half the time I think that they're coming up with stupid stuff just to get us to argue and be cranky about the decisions they make. Because Some of these things are stupid. But reading the announcement of who is up for the NHL General Manager of the Year Award that they announced yesterday or today. 
And the three finalists are Lou Lamorello of the New York Islanders. I don't think too many people are going to argue with that one. He won it last year. He, he does a great job every year. Bill Zito of the Florida Panthers. No problem with that one. His team way over overachieved this year, and I think he deserves to be in that mix. But the third one, Mark Bergevin of the Montreal Canadiens. And, and the, this was apparently chosen after the second round of the NHL playoffs. And I'm looking at this going, Bubba, how in the world, if Mark, if the Montreal Canadiens had given up one more goal in that first round in one of those games to the Leafs, Mark Bergevin is probably being talked about, being pilloried in Montreal and being talked about being fired right now. How is Mark Bergevin one of the three best GMs of the year? Well, I think, I think what you have to consider is that I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I don't make the rules. Obviously, I kind of. I'm glad you, you you've informed me of this. Um, that I thought the voting went right after the end of the season, so that the playoffs would have kind of no mental effect on any of the voters. Um, but he got this team into the playoffs. Um, I think you have to give them credit. I mean, the team and. You know, he's made some good moves. I mean, Carey Price, I think, only played, like, what, 25 games this year? He was able to get Jake Allen, um, you know, a, a, a goaltender that, you know, even though on the bench was a Stanley Cup winner. Um, and you look at the moves that he made, and this is where I think he needs to be complimented. He acquired players. I'm, I hate to you do this because I know there's a lot of angry Leaf fans out there, but it seemed like the Maple Leafs and they acquired a lot of veteran players because they felt they needed that veteran push, a little toughness, and someone to you know speak in the in the dressing room. Simmons, Thornton, they got all the nice guys, and it seemed to me that Bergevin was able to acquire players that have won Stanley Cups already. Um, I, I talked about Allen, Corey Perry, Tyler Toffoli, um, guys like that that have already won. And apparently it's rubbing off well with this Habs team right now because they're 1-1 in the Final Four and going home. So I Yeah, think, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 he, he I look at this a, and I... He built a team. He built a team. Which, I mean, really, what's it, what, think about what Colorado are thinking right now. They, they won the President's Trophy. Is it about winning the President's Trophy or is it about winning the Stanley Cup? And he put together a team under a lot of stress and pressure because, as you said, had this team failed and not made the postseason, he was a goner. But this team right now are 1-1 in the Final Four. When we all thought the North Division, and I was one of them saying that I thought was probably the weakest division of them all. But like I said, right now they're 1-1 against a team that had as many points as the Colorado Avalanche and missed out on a tiebreaker for the President's Trophy. So yeah, I, 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 you gotta I don't know. I, I, if you're going to do voting like this, it's either got to be at the end of the playoffs in my mind, so that you're taking the entirety of it, or you right. do it at the end of the regular season. Mm -hmm. And if it had been at the end of the regular season, honestly, Kyle Dubas is in the final three based on what he did with the Leafs and bringing in Jack Campbell and getting, uh, what's his name? The defenseman from Calgary, um, uh, whose name is just totally eluding me right now and I, others I and, and Bogosian and others. Um, if and again, I, I look at the Montreal Canadiens right now, and uh, this is this is not the Montreal Canadiens. This is the Las Vegas Golden Knights versus Carey Price, and Carey Price is holding his own against this team. Well, were, and, you, were you thinking that when they were up three nothing yesterday? 
was I thinking that it was Carrie? It, you know what? Mark Andre Fleury didn't have his best game. I look. I, I remember when Pat Quinn was coaching the Maple Leafs. No, but I remember when Pat Quinn was coaching the Maple Leafs, and even he would say, you know, and the smartest coach happens always by coincidence to be the guy with the best goal. And and that's every team. That's not just what that's this, every this team. Year's, no, that's, that's every this, team. That's not this just this year's edition of the Habs. No, nope. we had Billington nope. the, uh, the year, but was it absolutely? Yeah, you could you could go on and on for that, so you can't blame. Hey, Carey Price has been their best player for uh, Ten years. his entire since he's been in Hamilton. He was in Hamilton, right? He's yep. been their best goaltender, and now they're cashing in. He's got nine wins now in the postseason, which is a career high. Yeah, uh, I just this to me just seems like like the people who voted on this mm-hmm. have memories that they can barely remember what they had for breakfast. Their attention span is so short because to, to say that Mark Bergevin did a tremendous job this year, I just don't buy it. I just don't. He fun. barely he barely made it into the playoffs in the weakest division, and he but, got but, in. I know, but Scott, you're making things up here. No offense, but like they got it. Not they, they didn't barely get in. They got into the postseason with Carey Price playing 25 games. We just declared him their best player. So they were missing their best player for more than half the season and found ways and acquired players that, again, not spectacular for the regular season, like the Maple Leafs, scoring all their goals, winning all these games. He built a team that was made for the playoffs. It's not about winning the Presidents. It's about winning the Stanley Cup. And right now, they are, what, four, seven wins away from doing that. He's built a solid team that's performing right now, and they've come up, and he fired the coach. Let's forgot. He, he fired a pretty good coach, a Stanley Cup winning coach in Julian, and found someone else to motivate this crew. And by what I hear, they love this guy. So Mark Bergevin... Mark Bergevin has horseshoes in his jockstrap, and I'll tell you why. Last year, because of the change in rules, the Canadians got into the playoffs, and that's probably saved his job. And this year, they get into the playoffs, and Carey Price goes red hot, and that probably saves Bergevin's job. And next year, because now they believe that they've got this team that's going to win, they're going to maybe get into the playoffs, maybe not, but they'll probably find a way to squeak in. and say Mark Bergevin, to me, is much like Cole Caulfield, his star prospect, the most overrated you don't like people in their guy. positions. I mean, it's, it's so obvious you don't like this guy. I th- No, it's not that I don't like Cole Caulfield. I'm just, I'm sitting here listening to the TV people talking about him like he is truly the greatest prospect they've ever seen. And I think he's a fine player, but I think he's very average. I don't believe he'll ever score 25 goals in the NHL. I think in three years, he won't even be playing for the Canadians because we've seen this pattern with them time and again with their super prospects that they follow to favor and get dealt. Pacioretty and Louis LeBlanc, who was here before, and uh, what's his name? The de- big defenseman who got traded to, to the to Tampa Bay um, for Drouin, who was going to be their guy. This is what they do. This well, is what know. they I, do. I think I think Pacioretty is has turned out a pretty good career for himself. They he has, but not that, with the Canadians yeah. after well, he I, left. Yeah, you know, I think there was there was a lot to that. I think there was much more to the scenes, and I think that maybe had something to do with the player as well too. At the end of the day, he was a Habs captain. Um, yep. Uh, you know who got dealt. You know, you know, you're kind of saying that Carey Price is getting hot. Well, I don't know. Like Carey Price is the best goalie in the league, especially when it matters the most. Yeah, and that's I think true. I think there's got to be credit given to that. 
Like he's, I he's, will give credit. I will give know? all the credit in the world to Carey Price, unquestionably. You, you know, like we're we're, we're the, all those guys. I mean, the, and on top of that too, they've taken a look. And again, Bergeron's got to be given credit to that. He fired he fired his coach, found a coach that plays a system that he's comfortable with, based on the players that have been acquired. Um, you know, hey, maybe it's not that exciting. Maybe it's not as thrilling and exciting as the Maple Leafs that go up and down the ice. But we've proven this that defense and goaltending win championships on most occasions. Mm, and this that's is true. a team. This is a team that has proven they're now nine and one when they score first, right? And last night they got out to that two three goal advantage. And what else are you going to do? You're going to sit back and ride your goaltender and, and play. I mean, we're going to fault the New Jersey Devils, and we're going to say that uh, Martin Brodeur was lucky. I mean, because they had a system, wasn't exciting, and it was very similar to what they're doing right now in Montreal. So, I don't know, Scott. I, I think this... No, is, oh, Martin Berger was never lucky. Martin Berger was excellent. That's why New Jersey won those Cups. But well, absolutely. This, exactly, but I'm, so, I'm sort of saying that I think that Carey Price may be the Martin Brodeur in terms of dominance. I think he's better. I, and this is just, I know I'm, I'm comparing a Hall of Famer to a guy that isn't in the Hall of Fame who's going to be there. But right now, uh, as good as Martin Brodeur is right now, I think Price is better. I think Price is a better goaltender than be. Martin Brodeur. He may be. All right, let's switch for a second, but it's still with general managers. Sure. Let, let's keep angry at general managers for a moment here. Because <laughs> looking at the Blue Jays right now, George Springer has played three games this year, five games this year, something like that. They're $30 million yeah. guy. And you look at the Blue Jays offense. Now, I know you can't anticipate everything, but you look at the Blue Jays offense, which is spectacular. And I think you reasonably could have predicted it was going to be pretty good. I don't know if you could have predicted it was going to be this good. But when you look at the Blue Jays pitching, which is abysmal, it's not even AAA level in the bullpen. And you look at the $30 million that they spent to get George Springer, who has done nothing. Is this not looking like it may be a bit of a whiff by the Blue Jays GMs to say where they misdiagnosed where they needed help and put the money in the wrong place? Well, if you could find me too many people that were upset with the signing of George Springer uh, uh, days after that happened, because I don't think there was too many people. I applauded the. I was one of the people that applauded the Blue Jays management for going out there and getting uh, uh, an impact player. Um, I still don't. I still think, even though Marcus Simeon, remember, he's only on a one-year deal. I think they have found their leadoff hitter for the next, you know, three, four, five years. Um, no one could have ever anticipated the injury that he's going through right now. Uh, it, it really, I mean, I'll use this word loosely, it really sucks that he, we haven't seen enough of this guy. But can you imagine how they feel? Can you imagine how the player feels right now? This is an unfortunate mm. situation. Um, I think the first 10 games out of the gate, I thought the Blue Jays pitching staff looked okay. I still think there's work to be done. Uh, I still believe that had they been in contention or if they're in contention in September, that it does sound like, and I mean, you've had Ross Atkins say that there is money available to go out and get someone. You cannot, like, you cannot forecast injuries. You cannot forecast. I mean, Rafael Dolis, apparently no feeling in his hand. He's a pitcher, right? He had to leave the game yesterday. Um, another guy, Edwards, was it Edwards or whatever his name, leaves, leaves the game the game before. They're Merriweather, who was so good in that season opening series in New York, Throwing 101, 102, looking like you know, like just uh, fantastic. And then a week later, he and he had we haven't seen him since. He's on the 60-day injured list. This team has been decimated by injuries, and it really sucks because they're playing in the American League East. Scott, if they were playing with the Chicago White Sox in the American League Central right now, we might be thinking a different story right now. 
even at 33 and 33. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was funny because you were just talking with the Canadians and saying how defense and goaltending wins championships. Well, they say that about pitching all the time. Right. And, you know, so, some, of the, some of the guys that the Jays brass decided to take a, a chance on were guys coming off in. This seems to be the, the pattern, though, lately, is reclamation projects, except for uh, Hanjun Ryu. Yep. That would be the exception. Uh, but it seems like it's reclamation pro. Let's not spend money on pitching. Let's let's find the bargains and see if we can get them to play. And it's and look, it's blowing up in their face right now. The, the reclamation projects have not been reclaimed. Really? And some you don't of the think other Robbie Ray's been pitching well? I think Ro- Robbie Ra- I, Robbie Ray's been pitching well. The other lefty uh, escapes my mind right now. I'm uh, talking. Bu- I'm talking bullpen. Bu- oh, I'm bullpen, sorry. Bullpen. I, I should be more clear. I'm talking bullpen guys. Yeah. That they just have nobody who can get anybody out at this point. But they're and all into you're talking about guys that are not pitching in their propers. Some of these guys might be in Buffalo. Might well be playing for the Bisons right now. You've got so many guys that are injured right now that you know it's tough. Look who's on the mound today. Just I mean, as we're talking about pitching, T.J. Zoik is it should be in the in the minors right now, and he's starting because they have to. They need yep. this. Yeah, um, it's depth. You know, it's depth. And, but you I need think depth. in some ways, do you, you, there's been Alec Manol has been a, 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 just. I think this guy's a real deal. I loved it when they drafted him because I had seen him for some odd reason. I was on a trip in Carolina and I saw this guy pitching on ESPN like four, and then I remember when they drafted him, I'm like, oh, this guy is good. This guy throws heat. He just strikes out people, and he's been impressive. I think, uh, you know, it's remember they played 66 games. There's still almost a hundred games left for this to. They're still in the mix, I think. Oh, they're they're in the mix. They're in the mix. They, they're pitching. They're going to have to do something. They're going to have to find some way to. And and I mean depth. Depth is the thing. You're going to have injuries. Maybe not to the extent you're not anticipating to the extent and as early as they have. But they're going to have to do something to address this because you you are not going to be in the mix very long if your bullpen continues as it is. And by the way. Alex Manoa, every time I hear his name, I think of that Disney movie, Moana. And he could have been in, he, he looks like a guy who could have been a character in Moana. He, he would fit right in with that big guy, strong guy. Anyway, I um, love the name and he, he, you're right. He's a fun guy to watch. He is a, uh, he's an entertaining guy to watch. Uh, his, there his are pieces mo- there. His mom might be more entertaining to watch though. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, there, there are things, that, there are parts about this Jays team on and off the field that are entertaining to watch. It's just it drives you nuts. Like people who are diehard fans, it, it, it's like this game is really fun well, through seven innings. And then for eight and nine, it's it's driving people to alcoholism. But those first seven innings with the offense are fantastic. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, last night was just another example. The night before, 5-1 win, you know, 5-1 leads, 5-2 leads. Uh, it's really tough because you're right. You know, this bullpen right now uh, is banged up. But I still think, you know, that it had everyone been healthy, and I know it's tough to say had. You're doing the best that you can. I mean, for the first time, we actually saw Charlie Montoyo. I mean, he was asked by he was asked about the bullpen, and he finally snapped. I'd never. I think yep. the first time in his year and a half on the job that we've seen him so emotional. Because <laughs> seen a pulse know, at all. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do, right? He's doing the best he can. Him and Pete Walker with what they got, but yet still, because you're right. White, the series against the Astros, the series against the Red Sox, the series against the Yankees and the Red Sox, Red Sox and White Sox, sorry. I think just some really tough losses. But, like we said, 33 and 33, it can't get any worse than this, than this I think. 
you get some guys back, maybe they go on a run. Maybe if they hire Mark Bergevin as GM, he will have the key to be able to make them a playoff contender. <laughs> I Remember think... once upon a once upon a time, what was the name of the guy who was the GM of the Canadians uh, back in the seventies? Uh, who um, Claude. Oh, who became who became the Blue Jays president um, later on? Oh, how can I forget the guy's name? It, it must be a Thursday evening. Uh, anyway. Well, no, not Bronfman. No, no, no. I'll think. I'll, I'll think of it as soon as we hang up. But yeah, you know, they, people have crossed over before. Who knows? Uh, listen, Bob O'Neill, we are uh, we are delighted that you are back and able to argue again, and uh, we will do this again very soon. Always appreciate the time. Sports and healthy debating—it's a wonderful thing. There you go. Just healthy. Healthy is the key, right? Yes, Leave out all the other words. Healthy. That's that's all we need. Thanks for doing this. That was a pleasure, bud. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.